0: Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing well today. It's good to be back. was on a little vacation with my wife's side of the family. Uh, we went down to Florida, got to experience the sand again. It was wonderful. Uh, there was a lot of algae everywhere, so the, the water was kind of nasty. There were a bunch of kids. There's also a bunch of dead jellyfish all over the place, and so these kids were like wearing the dead jellyfish on their heads like they were hats. It's really, it's really weird. It's just, they just feel real nasty too, and so it's just I don't know. It was, it was a fun time. So uh, if you're grossed out by that, I apologize, but it was a good time, anyways. But uh, but we got to eat some good food, just hang out with family. It was wonderful, and then I got to go on a um, on a trip to our nation's capital, and I got to hang out over there for a little while uh, for some training for my job at the college, and I walked fifteen thousand steps. <coughs> Excuse me. Can you grab water out of there? I've got some in there. Thank you. I walked 15,000 steps on Thursday uh, afternoon, walking and looking at all the different sites and all the different things that there was to see over at Washington D.C. Um, my bucket list thing over there was uh, Lincoln's Memorial. Though that was like the the top tier, the big thing that I really wanted to go and look at was Lincoln's Memorial, and that was a uh, thanks, mom. Everybody's grateful for mothers, right? Yeah. You guys laughed. You should say amen to that. Amen. A, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so I was uh, just the, the gravity of how large. Has anybody ever been to the nation's capital? Awesome. couple of you guys. Well, <clears throat> if you have not, then I really encourage you to do so at some point in time in your life to go over there and check out and see what it's like over there. It's amazing. It's, it was such a good experience. <clears throat> and so uh, one of the big things that I loved about about the memorial was that just how big it was compared to <clears throat> just about everything else that was around there, just the, the size of it, and to realize that they built all that stuff not like five years ago. It was much longer. They went through that process and built it, and uh, just the, the things that Lincoln was able to accomplish whenever he was in leadership of the country was just incredible. And something that was really fun, if you've never uh, seen pictures or anything, is that when you come up into the, into the memorial, you see, of course, the massive statue of him sitting there. And then on either side, um, they have on the walls, they have the speeches that he, that he gave uh, during his inaugural a- addresses. And uh, I wanted to read a portion of it, I, and I, I was just taken back as I just was kind of drinking in everything that was around there and just the, uh, the experience of being there. And I was reading through, it just caught my attention, and I, I wanted to read this this morning. This is in the middle of his second, uh, second address, and he says in here, talking about both sides during the Civil War, he said that each, each looked for an easier triumph and a result, less fundamental and astounding than each other's. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a God's just assistance in, uh, in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces, but let us judge not that we may not be judged. The prayers of both could not be answered, that neither has been answered fully. That's so. That's so huge. The prayers of both could not be answered. That neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has His own purposes. Saying, "Woe unto the world because of the offenses, for it must, need, uh, sorry, woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must need be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offenses come." This was very impactful, especially in thinking of how how wonderfully this goes along with what we're experiencing today as well. We may not be in the exact same position that, that the nation was whenever Lincoln was in office and whenever he was alive, but there are a lot of similarities that we see in the way that we seem to have a couple different sides that are at war with one another. The interesting thing is that there are believers on both sides of the aisle when you look at the political parties. The disunity between the two groups causes it to where neither of their prayers are answered fully. Neither of their their prayers. I love that that Lincoln brings this up, that it's like it's it's astonishing that they both pray to the same God, read the same Bible, but yet come to a conclusion where it becomes spiteful against one another instead of unified. And this is the state of our nation right now. One of the biggest things that the enemy wants to do is to divide the body of Christ. As he accomplishes that, he accomplishes his mission— and that the body is not as strong as it could be because it's not unified. Now, I'm not here to talk about politics. I'm not, I'm not, a, uh, I'm not an expert in all things political. And so this is not the direction of the message that I'm going in, but I, I want to paint the picture of the, the state that we're in right now just within our culture. We're in a place where we are not as united as we should and need to be. I don't know what side of, of, of politics you may lean towards this morning. And, and frankly, I, I, I don't care that much. What I care about is who you serve. That's that's what I'm most, most concerned about. Because if we're serving the needs and at the will of a specific party or a specific denomination or at a specific people group, then we are serving that and we are diminishing the role that, that the Holy Spirit has in your life. So what I really think that we, that we need to focus back on and something that just hit me whenever I was standing there at the Lincoln Memorial was that there is a dire need for us to be unified with Christ much more than what we may even think that we are at this point in time. We cannot be at war with one another. We cannot be at war with other people who who may not have the same type of theological positions that we have. We have to have Christ as the firm foundation that we stand upon. That has to be the main category that that we live our lives by. Absolutely. We cannot sacrifice our faith in Christ for an allegiance to a people group to a a specific community or anything like that. Christ has to be first and foremost in our lives. Has to be, has to, has to, has to. And when this happens, we will see the blessings of the Lord come upon you. Not because I'm seeking blessings, because it is not blessings that I'm looking for to come from the Lord. It's the relationship. But because you're in a relationship with him, then blessings come. And I'm not talking about just financial blessings. That although although you see that as you follow after the principles and the natures of what of what God has asked us to, then financial possibility comes more and more because you are living in a way that people notice and they desire to bless you in positions, whether if that's at your work, whether if you are able to get a different job, or whether someone just decides to bless you financially by giving you a Holy Ghost handshake. So it's not the intention that I want to gain financial uh, uh, financial status That's not the reason why I'm a Christian But blessings come from also Having unification within your family The blessing of relationship with the body With the community of believers That come together and who can worship God And you can be encouraged by them The blessing of having a shoulder to cry on When you're experiencing things in your life The blessings of having uh, People to try to, to experience and to, and to celebrate your triumphant moments In life as well You gain wise counsel from these people. And you can also just have great fellowship and enjoy the community, which is the body of Christ. And so something that that we see that that brought the people of God together throughout church history is something that we're going to be doing uh, today at the end of the service, and it's gathering around the communion. This is called the Eucharist. It's called the Lord's Supper. There's a few different names that you'll find throughout church history um, that describe this this activity that we're going to be doing. But for the most part, worship, the worship service, was gathered around this part of of the body of Christ, where we ga- where they gathered around the elements. Now, historically, when you look through, I was I was listening to uh, Dr. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project describe um, this section of scripture that we're getting ready to go into. And uh, he said that this traditionally took about two hours to go through whenever you would sit down and do Passover meal and you would, you would encounter these these moments of community together. It would take about two hours t- in total to be able to go through this entire process. Now, a lot of times in today's society, in our, in our churches, it takes about five minutes, maybe 10 minutes tops, and then we're good. Not that it's bad or anything like that, but just to paint a picture of, of the importance of why they gathered around this is what I wanna kind of communicate to us this morning. And, uh, and deliver just a bit of more intentionality in why we're doing these things and why we even take communion. Um, this is a tradition that we do, and if you've been in church for a while, you've done this quite often, but it doesn't mean that you completely understand why we continuously do that whenever we know that Christ died on the cross for us. So let's, paint, let's, let's go through this passage of Scripture together um, because I think this is very valuable for us. And Jesus, in His, uh, in his beautiful timing and wonderful... Wonderful, just foresight. He took communion. He did Passover meal right before he went to the cross. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Passover, what Passover is, is if you go throughout the Old Testament, there was um, with Moses when the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians. There were ten different plagues that occurred that Moses would continually go through, and then the Lord would would uh, incite a plague. On Egypt for not letting God's people go and worship God at the mountain and so with these 10 plagues the very last one there is a Passover proclamation that needed to happen and this Passover proclamation was that the Israelites were supposed to take the blood they were supposed to kill a lamb they were going to to eat the lamb there and what they were supposed to do is take some of the blood and paint it over the top of the doorpost and the sides yeah and the sides so they were supposed to mark their door, their door frame outside to show that, that they are obeying the command of the Lord. And that when the, when the angel of death would come through, he would pass over their house and death would not occur within their household. Those who, who did not participate in this activity, the firstborn of their, of their children, the firstborn male would pass away. pretty wild pretty wild story i mean if you read the bible there's some pretty insane things that occurred throughout there this is not just some little children's rhyme that you want to go through this is not just a veggie tale story although those are helpful and beneficial it doesn't quite paint the picture and the and the gravity and the depth of what they were experiencing during these moments and so they celebrated from that point on they celebrated the passover meal now, this served two purposes. The first purpose was to remember the blessing that God gave them of being able to have death pass over their household so that they were able to walk across the Red Sea and they were able to go to the mountain. They were able to worship the Lord. So that they were able to go into the promised land and experience relationship with God. Now, the second thing that they were also supposed to do within this was was a foretelling of the Messiah that was to come and to provide salvation for the people. So they would celebrate this for those two reasons. Every single year, they would go through this process. And so Jesus was celebrating this with his disciples. And this is happening right before he goes to the cross. This is really interesting. Uh, Dr. Tim Mackey explains it this way. He was like, this is almost like a spy movie where it was really weird to where Jesus went and told his disciples, hey, you're going to go into the city, okay? When you find the donkey, that's going to be the place. And you give them the co-word that Jesus, that the Messiah, is wanting to have Passover at his his house. And they're going to be like, all right, cool. And then we'll be able to go and have Passover there. You see, because Jesus was a very wanted man at this time. If you remember, just just shortly afterwards, he's arrested and taken into captivity. So him being in public around this time was gonna be pretty dangerous for him to experience. So he sent his disciples almost like a couple spies. It's like a spy movie going through and finding the house, gotta identify the safe house. And so he went to the safe house and they were able to gather in this place. And then so from this moment, it says that they, uh, it says, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. I'm not going to belabor this point. I've communicated this before, but it, you guys may have in your mind the picture of, of Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the, of the Passover meal. Anybody familiar with that painting? Yeah, it's very, very famous. Um, lots of different depictions of things. It, there are movies made about it. Don't pay too much to those movies because not extremely accurate for things that are, that are, that are right. But, um, but this is typically what a lot of people think about when they think of the Passover meal. And this was not completely accurate at all to what the, uh, the actual setting of the Passover meal would look like. Um, nobody ever sat on just one side of the table. Uh, they also didn't, just, they also didn't seat, sit at seats um, to where you'd sit on a chair like you guys are sitting on right now and then uh, sit at a table where the table came up to their stomach. No, they would actually lay down. Part of the process was to lay down there. And I've taught this before, and, and maybe when we when we end up going through the book of Matthew at some time, I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more again, but but they would actually sit in either a circle or a semicircle in the tables, and sometimes they would have um, a, a small rectangular table right here, they would have another one right here, and then they'd have another one just sitting right there to where they can all see one another, and they could be in fellowship with each other. And that way, when people came to serve the meal, they could serve in front of them, and they could all be in service and watching one another. It was the community aspect of it to where no one was left out in the midst of that conversation. Um, and in that process, there is a, almost a pecking order that they would sit in for the most part, depending on who is the the, uh, the person who is leading or hosting the ceremony. And then for the other ones who were uh, in, in like first command, second command, and so on and so forth, almost of importance at certain times. And there's some, some scholars who believe that in that pecking order that Based off of the scriptures that you see all throughout the Gospels And the way that they can kind of depict where they were sitting at That Judas was actually seated at the position of honor Next to Christ And so the one who was getting ready to betray Christ Was actually seated in a position Specifically from what Christ wanted In a position of honor Knowing that Judas was going to go and betray him Powerful powerful to think of the many times that, that we would go and betray God in our in our relationship with Him, that He still would put us at a place of prominence because He loves us still the same. And He chose to forgive us. He chose to go to the cross even though Judas would betray Him. So, I won't belabor this because we're going to get a little further here. So, in verse 22, He said, They were very sad and began to say to Him one after another, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me The son of man will go just as it is written about him But woe to that man who betrays the son of man It would be better for him that he had not been born Interestingly enough Judas was not the only person who betrayed Christ We highlight Judas absolutely because of the, uh, the betrayal that he had of exchanging Christ for 30 pieces of silver. But if you think about the, the number of disciples who ran away and who didn't believe that Christ had returned or that he would raise from the grave, there were many who betrayed the thought. Judas, or sorry, uh, Peter, denied Christ three times. So every one of them went around, surely God, you don't need me. Surely it's not me that I'm going to be betray you. And I can almost almost envision Jesus kind of chuckling in the back of his mind, going, you guys have no idea how fickle you are. (laughs) How easy it is for us to walk away from Christ in moments of circumstance. That whenever the Roman soldiers came to go get him and took him back, they ran away afraid. So it's easy for us to judge Judas in this moment and say, oh, everybody else was really righteous because they didn't want to betray God. They didn't want to betray Jesus. But you also have to think of Judas in this moment. He, he there is a reason why he betrayed Christ. There is a reason why he exchanged him for 30 pieces of silver. We are not completely given reasons there, but there are some, uh, some thoughts that people have as to as to possible evidences of like some events that would happen that caused Judas to get to a point where he wanted to do that. Some would say that he, uh, his teaching was a little too radical of loving one another. That whenever the woman broke the alabaster jar on Jesus' feet, Judas was the one who accused her of, of being wasteful. Could have used that money for the poor. Could have been wasteful there. And he, he could have thought that was reckless of Jesus to, to waste money in that manner. To elevate women in a, in a position of prominence and have them have uh, the opportunity to be, to be witnesses of christ and be his disciples could have rubbed him a very wrong way as well as devout jews they followed very specific protocols and very specific things and some were a lot more zealous with those laws and with their interpretation of the law than others and so he could have been one who was zealous for for what he believed so how many times are we zealous for what we believe but we could also be very incorrect in the way that we've interpreted how this is supposed to happen how often are we met with humility when we come to the scripture and say, I'm not going to project my own thoughts onto scripture, but I'm going to read the scripture and let that teach me of how I should act. There are too many people who are divided, especially whenever you're, I'm, I'm thinking back again of, of Lincoln's uh, speech, where we're divided because we're still reading the same text, we're reading the same things, but we're not coming together in conversation. We're shouting at one another as to why I'm correct and why you're wrong. We have lost sight of the love of your neighbor with, with everything because you love Christ, because you love God, and so we we continue to look on. And in verse twenty five, then Judas, the one who betrayed him, said, "Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi." Jesus answered, "You have said so." While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. I'm just going to put a pause on this real quick. This, this was a, a very odd thing for Christ to say. Very odd. These guys were used to doing Passover meal. I mean, remember, from the times of the Passover event in Moses' day, leading all the way up until now, Years and years and years and years and years later These guys are used to this tradition every single year of celebrating passover But then for jesus to say this is my body Was something that would have taken everybody in that room back Like jesus this is bread This jesus is wacky man. He's continuously saying all these things that I don't even understand This is bread jesus and he goes no Take this. This is my body it is to be broken then he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink from it all of you this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins I tell you I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom Now, traditionally, there's one more element that's added into the Passover meal when they partake. And it's a bitter, it's a bitter uh, herb that they put down and they actually dip the bread in that bitter herb and they eat it. Part of this process is to help paint a picture for the entirety of the group of people. It's to educate the children who are in the room with everybody. It's to, it's to facilitate an understanding of where they came from and where they're going. The bread signifying life, something that gives life and provides substance. And so Jesus said, this is my body. My body, the brokenness of my body, as he he ripped the bread apart, has to be broken, but it's so that you can partake. Unless his body was broken, we could not receive the type of life that we have the opportunity to, to have right now. Take this, this is my body, which will be broken. There would be a bitter herb, and that bitter herb was to remind them, because, well, hold on, let me go back. So that the bread also reminds them of the manna that was provided in the, in in the uh, as they were traveling through the wilderness from Egypt to the promised land, that God provided for them a way of nutrient to where they can continue to live because they needed something to eat in the middle of the day. And so by looking at this, they see the provision of the nutrients that God is able to provide. Now, not through just grabbing bread and eating bread because my body, my physical body needs it. But knowing that when Christ's body would be broken, we would be given the opportunity to have our sins laid upon Christ. To where in his brokenness, he can overcome death, hell, and the darkness in the grave and rise again victoriously the bitter herb was to remind them of the sacrifice and the and the sin that were that, that had ensued and throughout all of Egypt, or all of israel's life the fact that they they continuously moved back and back and back into idolatry it would bring them back to the bitterness of sin and what sin would actually do it would when they would partake of that herb it would actually bring tears to their eyes because it was so strong and pungent so it's to remind you of the bitterness and the brokenness that we, are, that we live in if we do not have life supplied to us. And then when he would grab the cup and he would have the, the, the wine, and there was wine, they had wine there, and it was to remind the people of the blood that was shed. There was a price to be paid. When you make wine, you have to crush the grapes. There's a crushing process that goes through that. There's, a, there's an emptying of that, of, of that grape and produces that, that, uh, that wine. And then there has to be a process of fermentation that would go on too. So it's not just uh, an easy to be reproduced things where it just happens quickly. But this is something that takes a lot of time, a lot of, a lot of tenderness, a lot of um, precise measures of making sure that you're taking care of that while it's fermenting as well. There's a process that goes through this to where it's special, it's valuable. The longer that that sits and waits, the more valuable many of these wines become. If you've ever done any kind of research on different wines, if you have bottles that say that it's been around for long, long amounts of time, that price increases quite a bit more because of the value of the time that it took to create that type of wine. There was value in that to where they could see they have the wine present. They could remember the sacrifice of the blood that wrapped around those door frames so that the angel of death could pass over their house and they could continue to live on so that now when jesus says this is my blood the blood of the new covenant the covenant that they made with god in the old testament now redefined in a way that produces much more of an opportunity to for people who are even outside of the jewish community to experience and encounter the angel of death passing over them and for them to live continuously with the free gift of salvation. So this was a process that they would go through and they, and they in Deuteronomy, they go through a lot shorter process. That it takes you probably maybe 20 minutes, but they would go through the history of their nation. They would go through all the things that they'd encountered so that regardless of what was happening in society, they were reminded of the God of the universe who loved them so dearly that he sent salvation through a lamb them in Egypt, that lamb to be killed, that blood to be spread, and to partake of the lamb as well, and they would partake of the bread throughout the wilderness, and then now, as these disciples are sitting there, Jesus describes this new covenant, this process that was getting ready to go, that was getting ready to occur, where Jesus' body was going to be broken, and they would partake, they would partake and participate. Jesus could have described it in a much different way, but what he wanted to do was to continue something that was already set in stone in their tradition. To where as they would go through this tradition, they would recall and remember again the things that had happened in the past, but now the sacrifice to Jesus was going to be. Made. This is why it's valuable for us to take communion. This is why it's so important for us to go back and to remember. We need to know the scriptures so that we can go back and describe why we do these things together. So now Jesus said that he is awaiting the day where we'll be able to take communion again with one another. The great day when we get to feast with Jesus. But for now we have the opportunity to remember his good deeds. To remember what he has done day in and day out. I think in our own personal lives, we take communion far too less often. And this should be a more regularized practice that we have. Not just in the church, but I'm talking about in our own personal lives. How often do you sit back and remember and reflect in your own in your own household of the goodness of God? Grabbing the bread and really thinking, my God, those times where I had nothing, you provided the manna. In my brokenness of sin, you provided a sacrifice. To bless the Lord for the the blessings that he has given us. They would sing after partaking of each one of these processes, they would sing a song of blessing from the book of Psalms. They would sing this and sing, bless the Lord who made the heaven and the earth and who provided the bread for us to consume. Bless the Lord makers of the heavens and the earth for providing the wine for which we drink we need to do this more often and by doing so we we are forced to remember god's good deeds we are forced to remember him in a day and age where it's very easy to be distracted by technology it's easy to be distracted by our jobs maybe by circumstances in in our own lives. It's easy to do that. But if we are intentional about truly worshiping God, then the worship that we have is always gonna be something, like I said earlier, remembering for the future today. We will remember the deeds of God from the past. We will look to the future and say, I know he will do that. So today I choose to honor him and to give him thanks. And in taking of the bread and receiving of the wine, we'll be able to partake and give God praise in the midst of all of this. Verse 30 says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And from that place is where Christ was captured. Where he was taken, experienced horrendous acts against his body. He died, but three days later, he rose victoriously from the grave. even after he resurrected, when resurrection happened, his disciples did not yet know it. Think about that. Jesus was raised from the grave. The disciples were unaware of the immediacy of the occurrence. Christ had already won the battle. He was victorious. And the disciples were still wallowing in sorrow. And it took a while people one by one went, saw the grave was empty, ran back and told everybody. Many were still in unbelief. Jesus would appear to people on the road to, to Emmaus. He appeared to two. They talked about how awesome Jesus was. I can imagine Jesus just giggling as, as he walked through and talked to him and opened up things about the scripture. Then he appeared to his disciples. And then Thomas, still yet unbelieving, was like, I got to see the nails, the nail holes. I got to see the hole in your side. He went before he ascended, and he spoke with many of his followers. There were still many people around who, who were in disbelief that Jesus had risen from the grave, but there were people who knew. Today, in our society, in our world, in our culture, in the here and now, there are many people who still are in sorrow as if Christ had not resurrected unknowing that of the power that he has over sin, hell, and the grave. They still stand in their sorrow. They still weep and mourn as if there's no hope. There's some people who are even a part of the church who who their identity is found in their ability to perform and not in Christ's ability to save. But yet Christ still loves Each and every one of those people. Whether you feel like you've been one who ran to the tomb to find that he wasn't there and celebrate and run back and tell other people. Whether you were the forerunner or you one who are in waiting right now, still, Christ has compassion on both, both ends of the spectrum. And sometimes He shows up in miraculous ways through signs showing the person who is in doubt that he truly is the son of God, the risen one, the all powerful and to others it's going to take the disciples who have sat underneath his teachings, who has taken the time to listen to his voice to sit in a place of waiting as if the upper room and then to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to see people come to know him through there. There are many ways that people can come to know Christ, but it is only through Christ that you can be saved. And so through this great reminder of communion that we're going to partake in this morning, and if Pastor Ken has talked to you about doing elements, we can prepare to, to do that at this moment. That as we take communion, you can be reminded of the goodness of Jesus Christ. You can be be reminded of his salvation. There have been many accounts throughout church history and even in today's world that that some people, when they actually partake of communion, because of their their knowledge and awareness of Jesus in the moment, they, they are opened up to receiving healing even more so in their body. That as they reflect on his power and look not at their own ailments, but look at the healer, that they have actually experienced healing in their life. Some who have experienced deliverance from from thought processes and ideologies through recognizing that Christ is the healer. He is the the true theology that we should be pursuing after. Some incredible things that happen. uh, There are a bunch of different beliefs all throughout church history. Three different ones specifically about elements in communion the 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 catholics more so believe in transubstantiation where they believe that that the 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 priest would stand there and he would hold the elements and it would actually turn right there in his hand into the body of christ that the wine would turn into his blood right there Um, i don't necessarily believe that that is the the process in which we actually celebrate communion the next one was is is more so known by some of the church fathers in, uh, in early protestantism like luther uh, called consubstantiation to where as you partake of the elements God's presence surrounds it from the front to the back and side to side that, that as you partake and you acknowledge God's deeds that there's actually a, um, like a supernatural element almost to it not that that peace is supernatural but your awareness of his presence in the midst of this becomes a powerful revelation in your own life I kind of like that and there's also uh, the memorial aspect of it, to where when Jesus said, do this remembrance of me, it just causes you to reflect and, 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 uh, and memorialize that activity. Now, I'm not going to tell you what you have to or don't have to believe, but I will tell you this, that there's power in when we take communion together as the body of Christ, that there is some great, great benefits from remembering the goodness of Jesus Christ as often as you can. And so this morning, I would invite you to come up. Some of you guys who are kind of closer to the back, you can go there, back there with, uh, with Brother Kevin Swan. He's going to be back here. And then some of you guys can peel off, and Dad has some elements, and then Pastor Ken has some. Let's stand up. I'm going to pray real quick, and you guys can come and grab uh, a cracker and and, uh, and a cup. And we're not drinking wine in here right now. It's some grape juice, but we still believe that it's, that it's great. Father, thank you for this body of Christ. Thank you for these wonderful people, and thank you for the ability to come together and to remember the goodness that you have uh, shown us in our own lives and throughout history. As we get ready to partake, Father, I ask that you convict us of things in our lives that don't need to be there. Father, those, perhaps they're inappropriate thoughts, perhaps they're, they're, uh, they're degrading thoughts about our own selves, perhaps it's unforgiveness that we have. So Father, I ask right now that you, that you move on their hearts Give them the opportunity right now, Father, to to remember the things that they need to repent of and to repent of those things. Father, we don't want to come with with an unpure heart. We don't want to defile this beautiful practice of communion and remembering what you have done. By holding on to the things that uh, that we are struggling with and by holding on to sin, then we are choosing to say that your sacrifice was not good enough or great enough to get rid of these things and so father we offer sin we offer rebellion we offer um doubt we offer unforgiveness we offer anything that could be struggling and be going and be going against what your word says we offer those things to you right now and ask you to forgive us of our trespasses just take a few moments right now if there's anything in your heart that the holy spirit is highlighting that you need to get get rid of and, and and like flush out and offer it to him, then then let's do that right now. In your own words, ask for forgiveness of things. In your own words, ask ask for for complete deliverance from certain thought processes, from from things that you're struggling with. And I want to give the opportunity right now too that if you do not know Jesus Christ in this room and you would like to come to know him, that that his sacrifice you see is, is of great value and of great worth and that you desire to have relationship with this Jesus Christ, then I invite you to raise your hand as as an act of faith saying that this is something that I need in my life and I do not possess it. I'll wait for about five more seconds if that's any of you that need to know Christ. Amen. Thank you, God, for each and every one of these believers in this room and for everybody's desire to come to know you even more. Thank you for your quick forgiveness your quick forgetfulness of our transgressions that you don't hold those things against us but you've forgiven us wholeheartedly you don't hold anything back from us in jesus name you guys may go and grab the elements once you do you can go back to your seat I'll share a story with you. Uh, before I came back this weekend from, uh, from my trip over the Capitol, I uh, drove down to a friend of mine's church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And I uh, had Lou Engle. if anybody knows of Lou Engle, He's a uh, uh, man who has dedicated his life to prayer and intimacy with the Lord and has been very, uh, a very massive influence for many people in the body of Christ today. He was speaking there, and they were having a night of prayer. I had already de- uh, decided that I was going to speak on communion this morning. Thank you, sir. And, uh, and so I was doing some studying and doing some reading and listening to some, uh, some lectures on communion to prepare for this morning. And once I got to Harrisburg, I, uh, I parked the car, I went to the church. And as I walked in, I saw they had prayer on there. But I also noticed all across the sanctuary there were communion tables, it's where they had bread and they had juice, and the whole entire night was dedicated to, to communion. And Lou Engle said something that was very impactful to me, and something I've kind of felt, but I haven't quite put it in these words. And I like the way that he put it in. And he said that the next coming revival he believes is going to be a revival of communion. It's going to be a communion revival. Meaning that it's not just that we're just everybody's going to be taking communion all the time and it's just going to be something we're doing. But in the fact to where we're constantly going back and we're remembering the good deeds of Jesus, we're able to gather with one another and share stories of testimonies of what Jesus has done in everybody's lives. And we'll be encouraged and uplifted by connecting and being unified as the body of Christ together. And I believe that as we continue and in pursue in, in something that's like this, that we'll be able to experience the powerful move of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and then also influence people in the community. We're not supposed to keep things held up here at the church and just hope that people make it to this place. Although I would love for this place to be filled with people who are excited about the gospel and excited about gathering with one another. We need to be agents of the Holy Spirit going into the places of our work and representing Jesus to those people being agents of the Holy Spirit in our households, where we're able to communicate the gospel in the way that we speak with our spouses, with our loved ones, with our families, that that would also communicate the gospel to them. That the way that we're able to go into Walmart and to grab our groceries, when someone cuts us off in the parking lot or if someone cuts us off in an aisle or grabs the last thing of tomatoes and you really one of those tomatoes that you can still pro- uh, uh, project the gospel in your face and your tone of voice and the way that you speak with these people, That when you see people who are hurting and ill and wounded, that you would be bold enough to stand and say, I would love to pray with you this morning or this afternoon. Not so that you can be glorified, that if they get touched and they get healed in that moment, that you're like, look how awesome I am. Because let me tell you something, although I would love for it to happen, it doesn't happen every time that someone just gets up out of a wheelchair when you pray for them. So in the midst of you not performing a miracle, can you still portray the gospel to those people? Can you show them love and compassion, knowing that you are not the person that holds the power, but it is the Holy Spirit inside of you who who grants you the compassion and grants you the, the ability to witness to those people? So this morning, let us remember by grabbing these wonderful little crackers, the broken body of Jesus Christ Remembering what he did from Moses' day. Providing manna for those who needed sustenance. Providing nutrients to those who needed to survive. In the midst of what was bleak, dry, uninhabitable. That Jesus provided, God provided for them. And now Jesus provided for us by his body breaking on the cross. Let us partake in remembrance of him. Now, as we grab this cup, let us remember that our life is but a vapor. And that no matter what, how many de- good deeds we could accomplish, no matter how many times we could feel like we're just the best person in the world, or even if we feel like we're the most awful human in the world, that it was not by my might or by my power that I have the ability to be saved, but it is by the spirit of the Lord who drew us to Christ, who shed his blood, that just like in the days of Moses, when the blood was spread, the angel of death could pass over and they could continue to have life, that when Jesus's blood was shed, that was the price that was paid once and for all, for all of our sins so that we are passed over in judgment. There is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So let us celebrate the blood of Jesus this morning and receive your healing if you need that as well. Jesus, thank you so much for the ability to come together as the body of Christ. Thank you so much, God, for these amazing individuals. Thank you for the ability to remember and reflect on what you have done for us and in us. We give you thanks. We give you we give you all the praise because you are honorable. We glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. I believe Mr. Dave has a trash can coming down the aisles. You can throw those away. I invite you to go and have a meal with somebody today. Go and hang out with some people and enjoy their, their community and fellowship. We'll see those of you guys who are in ministry school tonight. For those of you guys who attend Wednesday, we'll see you then. And for those who will see you next week, we'll see you then. Have a wonderful Sunday.